You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Welcome back to Sprott Money News. It is Friday, October the 21st. This is your Weekly Wrap-Up. I'm your host, Craig Hemke, and joining us back behind the microphone is Eric Sprott himself. Eric, good morning. Hey, Craig. Uh, happy to be back. Uh, lots of interesting things have happened since we spoke two weeks ago, so we should have at it. We'll dive right in with uh, some of the market changes this week. Gold and silver are up just a bit, uh, not quite 1%, but the big winner so far this week has been the miners, which have bounced back 7 or 8%. You know, considering they they led the, the metals down back late last summer, maybe that's a good sign. Well, it was nice to see them come back that quickly. Uh, and, of course, they had all the technical oversold readings, you know, with their RSI getting down below 30. So I think it was reasonable to expect some kind of bounce like that. And, of course, I think there's there's lots of reasons to imagine that this sell-off that was totally, that I think one can look at it as being totally orchestrated uh, might have come to an end here. So uh, that, And then I think the stocks are kind of telling us that. We've got our fingers crossed. I know most folks feel that way as we head into the fourth quarter. You know, all of this seems to be spurred on by this notion now that the, it's almost a certainty or a fait accompli that the Fed is going to raise rates, if not in November, December. We had a CPI come out this week in the U.S. that showed inflation, but it was primarily in drugs, gasoline, and rent. Uh, Mother Yellen spoke about the high-pressure economy causing all this. What do you think of that? Well, it's interesting. I find these three words are very critical now, this high-pressure economy. She said maybe we should run a high-pressure economy. And what she meant by that was uh, we're not going to raise rates, even though theoretically unemployment is low and theoretically we have signs of inflation above uh, 2%. And, you know, the inflation uh, last month was 0.3 when you included energy and, um, and food. Uh, which is well over 2%. And I think the essence of what she was saying is, okay, it looks like we're going to get inflation going back up here, but I don't want to be pressured into raising rates. And, of course, I don't blame her for not wanting to raise rates because, as you and I have discussed so many times, there is no economic recovery, right, even though the data somehow suggests there might be. We all know that GDP is running like 1%. And we've had a, a real big turn in my mind in both autos and housing here recently. And those are the two areas that we're holding things together because of the low and negative interest rate policy that made the purchase of cars and homes uh, much more economic. Well, you know what? We're not getting, we, we've, we've spent that bullet here. And now we're, we're seeing a rollover in the seasonally adjusted the annual sales rate of cars. We're seeing housing come off and new home sales were up dramatically last month. And, uh, you know, those are the two areas that we're kind of holding it together. They're gone. And I found it interesting this morning when I read about David Rosenberg, uh, who's an economist based up here in Toronto, suggesting that they should just spend $2 trillion like the Treasury should. And I I think I know why he's going there, because if they don't spend $2 trillion, like, it's over, man. Like this economy is not reacting. The monetary policy didn't work, and that's why she's come back with this high, this term "high pressure economy" because it gives her the the latitude to allow inflation um, and not have to raise rates. So I don't see any rate increase coming myself. So, 
Well, it makes you wonder if if all of us aren't beginning to see through this smokescreen, because even though price has been rigged lower, as you say, over the last uh, couple of months on these rate hike expectations, the physical demand doesn't seem to be going away. We've seen a big ramp up in Silver Eagle sales, but uh, we've also seen a big jump in the gold ETF holdings worldwide. What do you make of that? Well, I think lots of people were just waiting for the price to come down. We all know that China was away for the week. We knew that there was this big short position. We know that the shorts act collusively and, you know, bash things down in order to cover the shorts. And sure enough, they covered a huge amount of their short position. Uh, there's still a little more room that uh, that we'd like to see them, you know, cover a little more here. But it's, it's kind of awful, Craig, that we have to sit here and, and watch this show go on all the time, right? The commercial short, they stop the rally, and then somehow they engineer a decline, which is over a very short period of time, and, and all the the uh, technical funds, uh, you know, puke out their positions and end up losing money. And it's just, it's it's so disheartening. You know, I'm the kind of guy that I, you know, I'm going to hold on no matter what and have held on. I've never sold an ounce of gold in my life. Uh, but a lot of people, you know, that are playing these things minute to minute and day to day, and they just, they see it breaking through the 200-day moving average or 100-day, and they got to sell. It's ridiculous, and it just plays right in the hands of the commercials. So, but there's definitely the demand for physical gold, as you pointed out, and the ETFs have been strong. The demand for coins has been incredibly strong, both silver eagles and gold eagles. And, you know, we, we see lots of anecdotal evidence. We see that uh, the premiums in India have returned. Apparently, the demand is quite strong, which is very, very critical because they are by far the biggest buyer on a sustained basis in the world. So if they come back into the market here as the final months of the year unfold, it will be uh, be quite reassuring to the gold market. I want to add some color just to uh, paint what what uh, you'd mentioned in a little brighter colors for everybody. On that uh, COT report, as you mentioned, that's a commitment of traders report for everybody out there. That's what tracks the bank positions, the commercial positions versus the speculators. And as you said, price was rigged down first through the 50-day moving average, then through the 100-day moving average, and that caused all these these traders, these machines to dump their, their trading positions, and it allowed those commercials, Eric, to cover 25% of their shorts, over 100,000 COMEX contracts, more than 320 metric tons of paper gold were bought back. Uh, what do you think of that? Well, it's incredible. By the way, that's $14 billion in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. Wow. And, you know, th- those guys were were, um, were underwater by like $4 billion, I believe, when gold was at, uh, let's say, 1360 And now I think they're probably up having orchestrated this decline. And, of course, to be able to get out of do- Dodge by covering things, that's really what upsets you. Like, why are we all so stupid that we... We enter into these contracts that we, we all have to end up selling out when it goes through a 200-day moving average, even though we knew no darn well exactly why it's happening. It's not happening in fundamental going on in the gold market. I mean, quite the opposite. As you said, we see the physical demand has been solid in here. We see India coming back. There's every reason that we see inflation rearing its ugly head. We see the economy getting sick. We see the tsunami of unfunded obligations coming at us at when it lands, it's going to be a disaster. So there's, none of the reasons for owning gold have uh, dissipated at all. In fact, they've strengthened. So, you know, it's unfortunate we have to witness this every now and then. And, of course, the, the uh, COMEX 
uh, it just allows these few commercials to to run the market around and it's very upsetting what do you think of this analogy i've been using lately eric you know we talk about the comex being a casino all the time we get that lingo going and it, it's a good analogy right there but even more than that in a casino they take your your currency and then they give you back chips because they know you're willing to just throw your chips around because you don't recognize them as money you mentioned never selling an ounce of physical gold. Can you imagine if the if there was a physical exchange, you had to actually exchange your right, right. physical gold? You never would. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it'd be quite a different thing because I think anybody who owns gold knows you want to hold on to it. So yes, I think that would, is is an interesting analogy that you point out and and would change things. And that's why, for example, there's this. Uh, feeling that Shanghai, which is a physical exchange, is going to come to dominate uh, the physical market, and it can't happen soon enough for you and I. Yeah, yeah, just a lot more difficult to actually sell when you're actually selling physical rather than just a paper obligation. But to that end, though, gold-related investments still continue to surge as through the first half of the year now, the gold ETFs, if you add them all together, sixth largest holder of gold on the planet. And only 100 metric tons behind Italy, they'll move up to number four, it looks like, at some point. That's a lot of gold. Yeah. And there's a lot of um, reason for institutions to think about gold here. I mean, we all know that the monetary policies are a joke. I mean, there's been, I don't know how many theoretical papers that go there now. And even the central bankers kind of go there now. You know, you have Corotta talking about maybe having this reverse operation twist, and then you get the high-pressure economy comment, and... Uh, there was a paper that came out of the Bank of England saying that uh, it looks like QE doesn't really work, except it's thoughts of market crash, uh, and that we should be considering other things. So there's the the, the evidence of QE uh, really being a farce is, uh, is is escalating quickly. Sure is, Eric. I want to close uh, with getting your thoughts on the latest developments in this silver price fix out of London manipulation lawsuit. Uh, since sure. we last spoke, the, the actual terms of the settlement with Deutsche Bank have been announced. But even more importantly, the judge on the case in the lower district of Manhattan has allowed the case for the first time to go through into legal discovery. What do you make of all this? Yeah. Well, you know, Craig, I was reflecting on it because, you know, for the last 16 years, some of us in the camp have said, you know, prices are fixed and everyone would look at us like we had three eyes. And, um, I feel somewhat vindicated that, uh, you know, one of the participants in the fix has admitted that uh, they manipulated the prices, and the other, I think, three uh, co-defendants still have to have to face the music here. And I think there's no doubt in my mind that things are, well, of course, most things are manipulated. We know the bond market, the Forex, <laughs> so many things where the, they've had to pay fines for manipulation. It was hard to imagine that it wasn't going to happen in... Um, in precious metals as well. And I'm sure it's just the tip of the iceberg because there's gold yet to be dealt with. There's the other people who participated in it. And, of course, to me, the biggest one, though, is not what happens on the on the London fix. To me, the big one is what happens on COMEX here, that these guys all act in concert at the same time. How likely is that to be And when there's not a group working together to conspire to move the prices where they want them. That, to me, is the bigger issue. And uh, I think in due course, we'll we'll get that into the court as well. Yeah, you know, once they got the LIBOR case cracked open, uh, they all started to sing against each other, and we all figured out how fixed that was. Maybe this is at least a positive first step. 
And I think in the library, you know, what they found out was these guys would go to create their own chat room, right? Mm -hmm. It was the chat room in the sky that they thought was exempt from notice. And once that got cracked, then the regulators would find these uh, places where they were conversing with with each other that they thought was all confidential, but obviously they were in cahoots. And uh, I'm glad to see that this is moving forward, and I'm going to look forward to seeing what the other co-defendants have to say and when when they'll open the whole thing up in gold and then ultimately hopefully get to the COMEX. As we move forward to next week, it looks like it, well, it's not necessarily going to be a quiet week, but we don't have an employment report or anything like that. Hopefully we'll see prices recover. Any other things you want to share with everyone as we wrap up? I, I just think that the strength in physical demand as we look at the coin sales, which are quite awesome, by the way, and it won't just be in the United States either. It'll be all mints. And probably the most significant thing from a physical point of view is that we have, you know, we've had a good monsoon season in India. The festivals are coming up. Uh, the marriage season's coming up. I, I think the fact that it's gone to a premium, the price has gone to a premium in the Indian market is probably the most telling thing that we're going to have a lot of demand coming in here that in the face of this decline in the price of gold, people were net buyers of the GLD. That's by far the most significant thing. When it starts going up, the buyers are going to, I believe, have all the reason in the world to think that things should only get better. Let's hope so. Eric, thank you very much for your time this morning. I hope you have a great weekend. Okay, Craig. All the best to you, too. And from everyone here at Sprott Money News, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.